This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 798. Really, the philosophy behind it is if we can build a place where we don't just achieve success of becoming you know, a firm that does 10 billion by you know turning people out, by paying them so much money that they feel like they can't leave, um, but by actually fostering an environment where people are constantly learning and developing, and we're encouraging them. What's up, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, the biggest, the best, and the baddest real estate podcast in the world. I'm joined today by my partner in crime, Rob Abusolo, with an incredible episode for everyone. Today, Rob and I are going to be joined by Alex and Layla Hormosi as we talk about business, real estate, people, relationships, success, investing. frustrations, investing, butterflies, making money. A lot. A lot. We, we really did cover a lot. Alex and Layla were kind enough to share a good chunk of time with us and open up about both their relationship, their business, and their future. In fact, they hired an executive for one of their companies while we were doing the That's podcast. Right. Yeah. These are some hardworking folks that are dedicated to the cause that took some time to help our listeners. What were some of your favorite parts of today's show? Oh, pretty much all of it. You know, the Hormoses are like my favorite people. These are really not just my favorite content creators, but my favorite entrepreneurs because they really tap tackle business problems and, and really the foundations of business in a way that I've never heard it before. And really, it was super cool because you always hear them give these masterful insights on building a business and scaling to a million or scaling to a hundred million. And the thing is, you always hear them do it separately, Yeah, but you never really get them in a room together. So this is the first time I'm really seeing we that. We saw some Hormozy you know? magic. We did. It's some Hormozy magic. So uh, I, th- I think I did pretty good for being... Being a you kept your boy. inner fangirl mm-hmm. together pretty yeah. well. They I couldn't tell that. until you told them. How excited did you get when Alex recognized your post on his thread? <laughs> I was pretty excited. Yeah. I was pretty excited. He remembered it. That's right. Very nice. You know, when I hear Jocko Willink talk in the times that I've met him, he's got this vibe about him that you don't see in other human beings. Jocko has been through things in life that have made him very different than everyone else in a really good way. I get the same thing from Alex and Layla. The experience they have with building, scaling, and exiting businesses and then managing them, I don't know how many other people on the planet have the perspective that they have specifically on there. Do you notice that? Oh, absolutely. Like it's just the way they explained like building out your team and the operations which is very applicable in the world of real estate, especially if you're trying to scale, that's exactly what you need to do and you need to do it well. It just seems so simple coming from them. And that's how you know that they're masters at this because they explain an incredibly difficult concept in a way that just makes perfect sense instantly when you hear it. So they gave me free consulting. Uh, Many people would pay tens and tens of thousands of dollars for that kind of thing. And I feel like a lot of people at home are going to really, they're going to be like, this is what I needed to hear. Yeah. So I opened up about struggles that I'm having in business, areas that I'm weak in. They gave me some advice. I kind of laid it all out there. We talked about investing in fears that hold a lot of people back, things that are tripping people up. And most importantly, the fundamentals that lead to success in real estate investing in starting a business and in wealth overall. And my my two cents is that with the market getting tougher, more and more people are going to need to move into building or buying a business. This is a very crucial wealth building block as real estate investing is getting tougher and tougher and you still need to be able to make money. Today's 
episode is, I mean, it's probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars for somebody who's going to go do something with it. So you guys are in for a treat. Now, you may be noticing that our background looks a little different. That's because Rob and I are here in downtown Los Angeles mm-hmm. at the Spotify Studios recording for your viewing pleasure. Before we get to Alex and Layla, today's quick tip is consider making your money and investing in the thing you enjoy doing. Alex talks about how we can all get shiny object syndrome, and he refers to a conversation between Dave Ramsey and Graham Stephan, where they actually get into the fact that Graham should be investing in the thing he's passionate about, and Alex realized that's which is why they doubled down on acquisition.com and scaled it to be incredibly successful rather than starting a bunch of different business ventures. And as a second quick tip, Alex actually mentioned how before he met his wife, he had nine different businesses and none of them were profitable. And she really helped bring clarity into his life and his business environment. And then the two of them exploded when they met each other. So keep an eye out for who your partner might be or potentially your spouse as we get into that as well. All right. Well, we hope you enjoy the studio. We hope you enjoy the show and get ready because several Bigger Pockets episodes were all going to be released from this same location. And they're all fantastic with some of the best guests in the business. Speaking of that, let's bring in Alex and Layla. And be sure to keep an eye out for episode 800. We ask a lot of people here at the Spotify studios some pretty amazing entrepreneurial questions that will come out for episode 800. So get excited. Listen, it's not coffee or donuts. It's not campfires or s'mores. Not peanut butter or jelly. Great things happen when two good things come together. So why choose between cash flow or appreciation? Rent to Retirement's new construction homes give you both. Rent-to-Retirement offers newly built homes that attract the best tenants with fewer repairs in outstanding rental markets. That means more monthly cash flow for you and plenty of equity growth in the background. Plus, their creative financing options let you buy investment properties with just 5% down. Not 20%, not 10%, 5% down. Rent-to-Retirement offers turnkey new construction homes already built, leased, and managed for you. Their investing experts find the best markets that consistently offer double-digit returns and prices as low as $150,000. And they've got more five-star reviews than any company on Bigger Pockets. You invest, Rent-to-Retirement does the rest. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You you got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. 
There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Alex and Layla, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us on. Honored to be here. So, welcome back, Alex. Um, you know, funny, quick little anecdote. I think uh, when we interviewed you about eight months ago, I said I had hired one of my sales guys to to become my COO, and then you're like, "Well, I don't know if I would have done that." Uh, and then he listened to it. He's like, "Man." <laughs> I was like, do you really think what, what do you think about that and I was like you're doing great he's doing great oh good just a small update just a small update um, and Layla really happy to have you here happy birthday thank, thank you. you so much for being here and I wanted to say you know I actually I, I subscribed to your YouTube channel first um, it was a video you did about a year ago called how to go from zero to a million dollars and it was a longer piece of content and I was like okay well you know like I do, I'll like I'll watch a minute or two and I watch the whole thing. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And you had like a PowerPoint. It was the whole thing. And I was like, this is great. And then a couple days later, I get served up one of your uh, videos, Alex. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure her name was Hormozy. But like, what are the chances there's another YouTuber named Hormozy? This is all crazy. So um, you two are the, the only YouTubers that I will watch a, an hour long video from. I just watched your hour long video last week and I was like, wow. Every minute. Thank you. Oh, so sweet. good cool. good content from start to Thanks. finish. Excited to talk about some of those principles. Yeah, he's not lying, man. I'm glad you guys are here because this is all Rob has talked about for the last three <laughs> okay. days. <laughs> okay. That's Alex partially true. Alex, can you believe that Layla's coming on her birthday? We can't mess this up. <laughs> it's got to be perfect. You really so. can't mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> I've been rehearsing in the mirror, but it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Thank you, especially on your birthday. That's very, very sweet of you. So we appreciate it, and our audience does as well. Absolutely. Tell us about acquisition.com. Why are you guys passionate about this project? Oh, fine. Okay. Uh, is that the signal? Oh, no, Sneak no, attack. No, yeah, you got to do it. Is this it. like okay. you need to steal second base? Is that what she's doing? Well, me? no. We, uh, yeah. So, because if we ever go together, she she always jokes that I will be like, you should go. And then I like have time to think about what I'm saying. Then he crafts a better answer. <laughs> so, the, the 100%, trick is, that's what we're doing. The, the trick is you're supposed to say, that's a good question to yeah. buy yourself some time. And then you get into it. Oh, I do that all the time, too. I do it with you. You don't realize it. Yeah. All I'm the like, time. I, I like, make you talk really first nice. and then I sum up what you said better than you said it and add maybe one piece that you A little piece on the end, right? Right. Um, no, I mean, the reason for acquisition.com, you know, interestingly, most of our businesses have come out of personal need. And so like I, I got into, you know, I, I, I got in shape and then people started asking me how I got in shape. And then I started helping people get into shape. And then I started growing a business of helping people get in shape. And then people who help people get in shape asked me how I got the business of people getting in shape. And then, uh, people who had businesses that helped other, you know, small businesses, uh, started asking me how my business was going, you know what I mean? And so it just continued to work out that way. Um, and so 
Layla and I uh, still had at the time when we started what would then become acquisition.com. Uh, we owned Jim Launch, Prestige Labs, and Allen. Allen was our software company, Prestige Labs, our supplement company, and Jim Launch was our uh, gym licensing business. And so we had, um, I think at the time, just about 4,000 uh, people who had gone through our licensing program. And, um, and we had the same amount of people who were selling our supplements through that same distribution base. And uh, COVID happened. And so that obviously impact and the software was actually how to get is a MarTech solution. So how to get uh, leads in the door for brick and mortar businesses of any kind. It was supposed to be for gyms originally. And then other people who were like, hey, man, I have a bunch of plumbers. I have a bunch of whatever's. Does it work for them? And it turned out it did. So it actually had a much bigger market than we thought it did originally. And so middle of COVID, things are tough for gyms. I'm almost like I got to take my take my mind off this stuff. And uh, I get a sales call. Because uh, we're rolling out software, I'd read all the books. It's like founders should take the first sales call so you can get to know the customers. And so, I still had like a t- s- s- tiny-ish brand. You know what I mean? Like I had a, a t- tiny fan base. It was tough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so I was right on the cusp where it would it would it was still okay for me to, to take those calls, um, where it wouldn't be weird where people just like hop on to have no interest in actually the product. Um, and so, anyways, this particular call, a guy got on and was like. I don't want anything to do with your software. <laughs> He's like, but I've read everything that you've ever put out. I've applied all of it and I like tripled my business and I want you to partner with me to scale it. And I was like, uh, this isn't really the right time, but whatever. Anyways, he, I, he still, he sold me on it and, um, I really liked him and he owned a photography business that's called Enchanted Fairies. And at the time he had one studio and he's doing really, doing really well. And he had an agency business on the side that helped photographer, like he marketed photographers the same way he had it for his own studio. Um, and after finding out about that, uh, I was like, you know, what if we just stop this agency thing and just like scale the hell out of this chain? And so um, we invested in the business and uh, that was three years ago. And that business now went from, you know, one single location to doing, you know, two and a half million a month um, over with the over 30 locations that we just own all of them. And we just continue to scale that. And so that was like the first deal we did. And then and you sure. own all of those as in like, they're not franchised right. out or anything. We own them all. Wow. Okay, yeah. cool. And so then we, uh, we did, a, a, it was like, oh, that went well. Maybe we should do this again. And so we did another deal. Um, and then that business went from like 16 and a half million in top line to 50 million in top line the next year. And I was like, okay, that worked well. Um, and then we did another deal, another deal. And so by the end of that, that year, we had done, I think three or four deals. I can't remember what it was, three or four deals, three deals. And I was like, you know, I think and we were going back and forth on selling gym launch because it was COVID. It wasn't like the ideal time to sell a gym company. Um, but the flip side was like interest rates were zero. Uh, and so there was tons of money in the market. So it's like, okay, this is a great macro time to sell, but a really bad micro time for the business to sell. And But Layla and I committed a few years earlier that we would sell the business if we felt like we no longer loved the business anymore. And we'd both been in fitness for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we were ready to just – I didn't want to be the gym guy anymore. And so, uh, and the fact that these other deals had gone well, like I wonder what, how different like life would be if like those first deal or two didn't work out, we probably wouldn't have sold, but they did work out. And so, uh, the day after we sold, which was December 24th of 2021, um, we started acquisition.com the next day. And so, uh, then we had, cause we had, you know, we we're probably taking 40 million in distributions up to that point. And then we also had our sale money, which was 46. Um, and, uh, we started our family office, which is acquisition.com. And so we, uh, buy and scale businesses. That's really cool. So Layla, I know you're the CEO of acquisition.com. What exactly is the type of workplace that you're trying to build there? I'm trying to, and it's really, we, you know, cause we're, okay. we're a small business, I think. Um, but you know, technically the team reports to me, but I mean, we work on everything together, uh, 
really what we want to build is in terms of the type of place, you know, like you look at like traditional private equity, it's a very punishing environment. Um, I think like it's run by fear. (laughs) They're pretty much like it's the golden handcuffs, which is like, all right, I'm gonna get my two years at, I won't say their names, but like Mm -hmm. these top firms and then I'm out, right? Because it's so unsustainable. And so, you know, when we looked at doing what we were going to do, I was like, you know, the only thing is like, I just don't want to build a place that actually treats people like that. You know, I want to build a place where we don't just build companies, we also build people. Because, you know, really behind the philosophy of Mm acquisition.com, there's really, there's strategy and there's all the strategy that we deploy into the businesses in terms of how are we going to grow these things. But who grows those is the people that are in their businesses and who directs the people on how to grow those functions and the businesses overall is our team. And so, you know, really the philosophy behind it is if we can build a place where we don't just achieve success of becoming, you know, a firm that does 10 billion by, you know, churning people out, by paying them so much money that they feel like they can't leave, um, but by actually fostering an environment where people are constantly learning and developing and we're encouraging them. And I think that there's a lot of talk against this and any time that it's like kind of risen in the management philosophies, um, it's so hard to apply and to understand that people just reject it. And so my goal is to just build acquisition to 10 billion and then have people ask how we did it and then tell them that we did it this way. And you don't have to be mean to people and pay people exorbitant amounts of money because it's such a terrible job. You can engineer an environment where people, like the business wins, the people win, and our partners win. And that's really what it is. I think that um, the founder of Whole Foods, he talks about that all the mm-hmm. time, uh, John Mackey. Uh, I think that's how you say his last time. I always say it wrong. Um, but he talks about creating a win-win-win. And not even a win-win-win, but like a win-win-win-win-win. It's like a win for the community, a win for the environment, a win for the employees, a win for the business, a win for the, you know, business financials, a win for the customers. And we just take that approach at acquisition.com. It's like if it's not Mm -hmm. going to make a win for every single person that it touches, Mm -hmm. then we can't do it. We have to keep working And so the business itself exists to be an example of a win-win-win. You know, a win for our portfolio companies, a win for acquisition.com, a win for our employees. And... You know, it just makes it more enjoyable too. Because I think like, I I can't imagine going and being the CEO of a company where I felt like people didn't want to be there. Like that just sounds awful to me. I wouldn't want to be there. So, you know, I think what we want to create is a place where people actually like working. um, And I think we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like acquisition.com, when you're uh, working with these companies, you're effectively helping them scale. You're helping them build out their systems, their teams. Is your company set up from an operational standpoint, the same way you set up the companies? Like, do you have operators or is every employee at acquisition.com meant to be like a super sniper operator that can be inserted inserted into any business? It's a good question. So we essentially have a setup where, um, you know, there's the executive team at acquisition.com, which services, you know, the internal things that we need to have done at acquisition.com. And then we have what we call like pods, And so there's one portfolio operator with a team of what we call subject matter experts, say, uh, you know, uh, managing director of people, managing director of customer success, managing director of sales, managing director of marketing. And they, as a pod, can service a certain amount of businesses. They can do the value creation for those businesses in our portfolio. And then you duplicate that. And, you know, as of right now, we're focused on like a, you know, more like professional services and brick and mortar chains. Uh, That's probably like the two 
uh, niches that we're s focused on. If we decide to branch out into SaaS, then we would build that same structure, but with people who have background in SaaS. So that's how acquisition.com is structured. And then we bring in outside expertise and consultants as needed for like special projects. And the way that we've um, built this is that a company comes in and, you know, if, let's say a company's doing 10 million top line and 3 million bottom line. So probably like 30 or so employees somewhere in there. What we would then do is we will identify what department usually needs to go from zero to one. It's usually just non-existent. Um, and then we will go and actively headhunt and recruit some of the best people from businesses that are maybe, you know, two or three times the size of that business and put them into the business. And then our subject matter expert will deploy our playbooks with that person. So that way we can create the most enterprise value at the port co at the portfolio company level, not at the hold co level. And for us, it's like each of these, you know, SMEs, we call them subject matter experts. You know, if they were sitting on the balance sheet of any of the portfolio companies, it would definitely, you know, hurt the, the P&L. But because we can fractionalize that and a lot of high skilled labor doesn't require tons of time, it just requires deep. It takes 10 years to learn, you know, where to hit the machine, sure. you know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's like we can we can consolidate that cost at Holdco. So the actual profit is, I don't want to say inflated, but um, just way better yeah, uh, at the portfolio right. level. Yeah, exactly. Because we can we can consolidate all this brain power and then copy and paste things the way we already know it's working. And we can take learnings across the portfolio. And so we're like, hey, uh, you know, this this sales setup is working really well in these three companies. We just got a new portfolio company in. Let's let's deploy that here, right? Or like, hey, this new media platform is doing really, really well. Let's deploy that playbook in the rest of them. So we just we can learn way faster and deploy it way faster. A lot of companies, a lot of personalities mixing, right? So when you're looking at some of the companies that you're acquiring, if a company is coming in with like a sour work culture, can that be fixed? Or is that something that might cause you to like walk away from a deal? I think that the given the size companies that we're investing in, you know, these companies are typically like right, just a little too small for private equity. And so, you know, when they're coming in, they have a sour work culture, not because of bad practices, but because of no practices. Yeah. They totally. just truly don't have any standards in place, any systems in place to ensure that they can have a good culture. So it's like, we're starting from ground zero. Now, I think what's harder is when businesses get bigger mm -hmm. and they have systems in place that promote a bad culture, right? I think that when they're small, it's just kind of like, you're just accidentally creating a culture because you have nothing in place. When you get bigger, you have put things in place and still have a bad culture because they're the wrong things. Yeah. That's harder to turn around. That's called a turnaround. We don't we don't necessarily do that. I think we've done it with one business and yeah. it's, it's honestly a lot harder and it requires a different kind of skill. Um, to put the systems in place to promote a good culture because they kind of just have like whatever naturally hodgepodge. occurs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. like a hodgepodge. Um, you know, that's that's something that we're good at doing, but it does take time. It does not happen overnight. The culture is the piece that takes the longest. And honestly, it's like still what I'm trying to crack because you can change all the people around the founder, but the founder themselves, if they do not change, like it's just really hard to change that. Yeah. David, I mean, you you have a big team of like at the, the David Green team. Is there a lot that you have to do to insert like what you see the the culture being or is that really something that you put more like on the operator level at your company? No, I haven't been able to get an operator to do that very well. That's like why I'm stuck. So yeah. that's really where I failed over the last four years over and over and over was taking myself out, putting a person in. Mm -hmm. They understand the organizational chart. They understand the processes. They understand what's happening. As long as the money, the revenue, the deals flow in, they can keep the whole thing going. Mm -hmm. There's a change in the economy. Interest rates go up. Something changes the flow that was nice. 
and they they don't know how to go and like lead the people into a new realm and then i will have to step back in but now it's like I'm out of shape because I've been in the gym in six months. So it takes me a long time to like yeah. reacclimate myself to what's happening, figure out who are the pieces that are working, who are the pieces that have been slacking when no one was looking. You get the whole thing running again, and then that business over there is having the same problem. And like I've just been bouncing around for the last several years because of exactly what you guys are describing. It's that leader, the one that can inspire the culture. And that's really what makes the business work is what people come to the one brokerage of the David Green team because they hear me talk on the podcast and they're like, I want his standards. I want that guy's work ethic. I want that guy's eyes on my deal. I want to feel the way he makes me feel when he talks about real estate. And then when you put a person in your org chart to do a job, but they don't inspire that same level of confidence in the customer, the conversions become a whole lot harder. So it's what they're describing like is building the culture of leaders that all kind of adhere to the same standard. The subject matter experts are really the ones holding that line. It sounds like you're saying that are keeping everyone operating or is that not the role that they're playing? Um, they hold the standard of what good looks like in each function. Yeah. Yes. I think that the portfolio operators, who's like the leader of those subject matter experts is the one that more so is distilling that cultural piece. Um, and so I think, we're very, I, I've definitely developed a philosophy around that, which is, you know, you know, hiring people who are either have our values or are so open-minded that they can, you know, flux into our values. That's what's been missing to your question. Exactly what you're saying. We used to, <laughs> we did it. I, just personal opinion. Um, there's always, like, I always look at it like either we're going to be really good at hiring this person. Mm -hmm. Or like what we did at gym launch was like really good at building because like if you are used to investing in people, then it's like maybe you just bring someone in to be your successor. And over a span of two years, mm -hmm. they watch you. They're there with you at everything and you just keep them by your side. And then two years in somebody with like very little experience can do it. That is what I've tried. I just picked the wrong person. Mm -hmm. So they got a little taste of what it's like to be David Green's guy and their ego be mm -hmm. insane, right? Or they got a little taste of all this money and they're like, oh, great. I don't have to work 70 hours a week to make it work anymore. Now I can cut back to 30 and enjoy my life. And they're taking their foot off the accelerator before you've hit like escape velocity would be the way to look at it. And I can admit that's, I think when we actually did the first interview with you, I, this is the hardest part for me is to be the guy who is like, I was a police officer before this. I'm very mm -hmm. familiar with enforcing a standard or a law. Then you step into the podcast space and you're not a, you're like a magnet of like, Hey, you guys can do this. And I have not done well bouncing between those two roles. A lot of the people that will find come to me from the podcast. And now I'm like crushing their soul when I'm like, <laughs> you have to step it up. And I, or if I, if they're not from the podcast, they don't understand the ethos that people have from the bigger pockets realm. You guys are nodding. Like you understand the struggle I'm having here, but I can admit I'm not good at it. It's a skill in itself. Yes. So between the both of you, is there a difference between the way y'all wake up? Like is one of you really focusing on the internal uh, operation of the company versus the external side of it? Yeah. I mean, it, uh, Everything that Layla talked about earlier in terms of like getting a win for acquisition.com, getting a win for our internal team and getting a win for the portfolio companies is what I would consider kind of like the internal mission of acquisition.com. The external mission is very much the stuff that we put out there, which is like to make real business knowledge accessible to everyone. And so it is like if we can make the entire marketplace better, then we are net positive to the marketplace. We can hopefully teach skills that then allow people to work at companies and, you know, quit the jobs they don't like to, you know take jobs they do like, and maybe even take jobs at acquisition.com or our portfolio companies. Um, but yes, Layla is absolutely internal facing. I am external facing. Our days are 
almost polar opposites in terms of how we how we work, what we work on, how they're structured. Uh, the Holdco is small is is not because it's a holding company. It's not like we have a, a gazillion people there. We probably have twenty something. It's not big, um, and so it still functions like a small business in that way. In that, Layla and I will you know talk about big strategic decisions, but for the most part, we try not to change the strategy that much. Sure. <laughs> but you got to give time time. Sure. Well, in episode six forty nine, we spoke with you about scaling from zero to hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars to three million, and three million to thirty million. And so, I want to sort of talk about setting up some of the operational framework when you're in those phases. Um, I started a company recently. It's called STR Coseg, and I feel like the partners and I, we are all visionaries. And so, we're at this point now where you know, from a funnel marketing standpoint, we've got the leads, we've got a very warm set of emails. Uh, we've had a lot of good conversions. We've actually done really, really great for the two months that we've been operating. But for me, I'm trying to understand who do I hire next? What is the ROI of that person? Because it seems like I need someone that is somewhat of an operator, but I also feel like I need someone to actually run the marketing and the follow-up to actually convert some of those leads. Hmm. You know, I think we probably have similar ways of looking at this, which is in the beginning, the first thing is that when your business is small, is that the reality is you need everything, right? Like yeah, you don't that's, have that's a head of marketing. It. You don't have a head of sales. You don't have a, have a head of CS. It's like, it's all just like open wound. But the question <laughs> is like, yeah. which artery, if clogged, yeah. uh, prevents the most blood loss? That's the way I look at it, right? And so it's like, okay, where do we get the highest ROI if we put a person there? And I think that often what a lot of people want to do is they want to get out of pain themselves. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, you do see a lot of people who have a skill in terms of say it's sales or say it's client acquisition. And then they think, well, gosh, this is taking up all my time. I need to hire somebody. However, the question is, can the business bear you stepping back, bring someone in who's going to be 30% less effective at first, right? Say that salesperson, you're closing at 80%, they come in and they close at 50%. It's like, well, can the business actually even support that? And in the beginning, the answer is usually no. So the question is, where are we going to get the highest ROI if we bring somebody in, which is like, what is the biggest constraint right now? Not saying it feels bad to me, right? Because yeah, yeah. I think like often we're so often in pain that we're like, I want someone to come in and take this thing off my plate. But like, what's the biggest constraint on the business? And so I would look at it from that perspective in terms of like, what is not happening that if it were happening, the business would be 10x better sure. or what is happening that needs to stop happening yeah. to make the business 10 times better. That makes sense. Yeah, because the company is very profitable for, for where we are. We can certainly sustain hiring somebody. And from a marketing standpoint, I think the, the stubborn thing for me that I always feel like is I'm good at marketing my stuff and it's very hard for me to relinquish that control. So it almost feels like perhaps I can't walk away from that business quite yet, but maybe if I put more of a, a project manager, someone that's kind of pushing the daily agenda in line, that would sort of complement my skill set a little bit. Can I throw this out there? Mm -hmm. um, is there a reason that you want to step away from the marketing? Not particularly. Just time. And, you know, I have other businesses that I'm also, I'm marketing a lot, right? Yeah. You know, I have four or five different companies that I market. So that that's the tough part for me. Because you, you probably don't think you're, you're not going to stop marketing, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, I feel like a lot of times... Um, like just as business owners, entrepreneurs in general, we do a lot of things based on like shoulds that someone else has told us at some point in our career. And it's like, could have been a whisper, could have been at lunch at, you know, five years ago. And you're just like, oh, this is fact. And you like can operate the rest of the time until someone's like, hey, I don't know if that's true. Um, but like you look at Dave Ramsey, uh, you know, they're doing 300 million a year. He still does his podcast every day. Um, and so I think it's just like, unless the goal is to exit the company, 
if you enjoy doing the thing, then it's like, okay, well then how can we get the most of you doing the thing? Cause that is the highest leverage, you know, time for you. And then it's like, how do we clear everything else off of your calendar so that you can do the most of that? Anyways, that's just like, that if we're sense. looking at, okay, we're, we're a big leverage points, you know, in the business. And it's, it's just, it's just kind of funny. Cause a lot of times we're like, man, I, I got to get out of sales. And you're like, well, you're an amazing sales manager. And right now you're doing I don't know, 600,000 a month. Uh, maybe that's not, that might not be the time right now. Like we might need to think about what are the other things on your time and take everything else off and then keep that. And then we'll have even more resources because we'll be twice as big to then go get a killer who we can hire, who has an amazing track record at a company yeah. that's twice as big, who, who, you know, who knows this type of sale, et cetera, et cetera. That makes sense for me. I mean, I feel like because, yeah, I just, I would like to just show up and market. Yeah. And so because I'm doing a little bit of the operational side back and forth, I feel like I can't really ever do the marketing side good. And I can't do the yeah. operational side good. And so, yeah, it's just always very painful to to hire. Is it always painful to hire? Well, one thing I would say is also I just I, I think that um at different levels in the business, I think like a project manager is like that's everyone's go to when they're not really sure what role. So that's actually one that I think like vague roles like a project manager is actually where I see like usually what it means is that we're missing a role over here a role over here and then somebody right here is weak and we fill it in with like a project manager. <laughs> the drunk drawer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the drunk drawer. Um, so I would just be, be, be weary. Um, in terms of hi hiring is a skill in itself. So it's just like, like, dude, I'm awful at real estate. Sorry. Um, <laughs> like for now. Yeah, for now. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, terrible, awful. Like as good as business, That that's how bad I am at real estate. The opposite. Um but it's because I've never I've never applied my skill set. It's not like I think I'm dumb and can't learn it. Sure. It's that I've never taken the time. And I think that, you know, I was forced to learn how to hire well because in gym launch, we grew so quickly and I had to hire so many people so quickly. I learned all these lessons that I think take, honestly, a lot of people decades to oh, yeah. learn. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've hired thousands of people at this point and that's just not something most wow. people of my age have done. And I think that it was in a compressed period of time, which then I think even cemented the learning even more. And so it is a skill. I, you know, I think that if somebody's not good at hiring, sometimes it is best that you defer to a recruiting firm and watch what they do, learn from them. Because I think a lot of times we 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 think we know what good looks like. And we think that hiring is just like a thing you do to get people. But it is a complete, we have, there are complete hiring departments. There are multiple different roles that help yeah. people hire. I mean, it's an entire process sure. of its own. So just like there is client acquisition, there is talent acquisition. And I think that Alex is very good at client acquisition. Um, and I am very good at talent acquisition and they're honestly, it's just flipping client acquisition. All the things you do for that, you do to acquire talent. It's just that most businesses, in fact, 80% of businesses do not match their external strategy with an internal strategy. And so that's why talent acquisition mm -hmm. doesn't exist in most businesses. And then most people say, well, my business is too small for that. And I'm like, well, how do you think your business gets big? Like by having that. And so I think that. It, if it's treated as a skill of its own and one that um, is imperative to the growth of the business, then I think people would see. And, and I guess that's what I strive to do is like to show people the importance of it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stats to back the importance of the people that we bring on, how we bring them on, the culture that we have as a team. Um, but it's still I think it's starting to become more relevant when I even when I started making content, I think, you know, two and a half years ago, I felt like I was like speaking something that nobody talked about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's discusses. It's almost like a, oh yeah, you have to be able to hire people. It's an afterthought. Yes. It's something super interesting is that for every strategy, for every three strategies that a company commits to, 
saying like, this is our strategy that we're going to do for this year one. Here's year two. Here's your three. Two thirds of strategies fail, not because the strategy is wrong, but due to execution. And when they say, well, what makes the difference in companies that are able to actually execute these? Because that means that only 33% of strategies that we say we're going to do actually happen. Well, there are some companies that are able to execute 78% of strategies. What makes up the delta is what people, and I guess McKinsey defines this as the soft stuff, which is talent acquisition, culture, and people. And so it's like, you know, I feel like I'm like, I'm saying all the stuff to people like, oh, Layla is about the fluff. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not the fluff. This will make you so much more money. You will grow your business so much bigger. Yeah. There's people that analyze the economy what the government's doing and they figure out what the overall environment looks like. There's people that analyze an individual real estate investment and look at what's the income stream. What are the expenses? There's people that analyze businesses. Uh, there's people that analyze stock opportunities there. It's all some form of risk allocation. Like how do we know where this is going to work? We've talked to so many people today and the biggest hurdle in all of their growth was hiring. And yet you don't put that same effort into the analysis of humans, which are the one thing you can't scale without once you get to that limit, like where, where I kind of am. If you were to think about it, like you're really good at marketing and, and you probably have sales teams. You've probably taken a lot of sales calls in your life and you take a thousand sales calls or 2000 sales calls. And then you think about that from the context of hiring. It's like a lot of entrepreneurs have had like 30 interviews that they've actually tried to make a judgment, be like, man, I suck at this. It's like, well, it's reasonable that you suck yeah, at it. You've only done sure. it 30 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I tell people all the time, if they're like, ah, you know, Layla, I don't think I need a sales manager. And I'm like, do me a favor. I just want you to interview 10 and then tell me if you need one because they don't even know what a sales manager sure. or their business should be doing. Yeah, one of the other issues in the beginning is uh, it's just ignorance, not stupidity. It's just that a lot of entrepreneurs early on don't know what good looks like. And so like kind of like with the operator, it's like, I just don't like you probably know what a good salesperson looks like. You, you like like you've probably hired enough of them because yeah. it's a role. I mean, just from what it sounds like in your business, it's like, well, how many good operators have you ever hired? And so it's just it's kind of like such a good point. Right. So you have, there's no, there's no ideal scene to like, look at. You're like, I guess I'm going to roll the dice again. Right. Like that. I remember when I was trying to hire agents that could close my clients, I would just, I tried, I failed, I tried, I failed. They couldn't close it. I hired one Johnny and he could do it. And I was like, that's what I'm looking for. And then they all came after, right? Like there's something about mentorship maybe where you're following someone else and you see what they're doing, that you get this pattern in your mind of what, that's a great point that you just made. And I haven't hired, I call it a leader, but it's an operator. Like what you're saying, the person that can run. And, and we've placed operators in what two thirds of the portfolio? More, almost all of them, except yeah. for like. So you have a them. pattern in your mind of what that looks like. You know, you like, lay all of them. Yeah. So yeah, I get, basically, I guess it is all of them. We've we've taken an operator um, and put them in because usually the entrepreneur is the one who starts, who gets the fire going, and gets yeah. to a certain point, and they don't they don't like a lot of these things. And what I'd say probably one of the bigger mistakes, and this is one that we've made. Um, earlier on was hiring hiring the project manager and calling them COO or calling them director right. of operations, right? And what it really is is somebody who you're like, oh, they're really detour-oriented. They love Asana and they love like checking boxes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's actually not what an operator looks like. Are you serious about making real profits from your investment properties? Then why are you paying a property manager anywhere from 8 to 25% of your rent? Cut your expenses the savvy way by self-managing your rentals using RentReady with flat rate pricing that doesn't cut into your bottom line. You think I'm paying a property manager? Heck no. Get your hands off my cash flow. That's me slapping someone's hand. 
With Rent Ready, you can collect rent, screen tenants, track repairs, and manage accounting all from your phone. Are you a Bigger Pockets Pro member? Well, guess what? Rent Ready is already included in your membership. Haven't tried it yet? Well, then what the heck are you waiting for, man? We made this possible specifically for you, Bigger Pockets Pro member. If you're not a pro, Rent Ready is offering you 50% off their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2023. That's R E N T R E D I dot com using code BP2023. That's BP, like bigger pockets, you know, the podcast that you're listening to right now, in the year 2023 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. Cut your expenses when you use Rent Ready to manage your rentals. Sign up today at rentready.com and use code BP2023. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount, which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise Flagship Fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey there, fellow libation lovers. Let's talk about something that's sure to tickle your taste buds. Total Wine & More. Are you ready to embark on a journey through the aisles of endless possibilities? Total Wine & More is your one-stop shop for all things wine, whiskey, and everything in between. From the smoothest Cabernets to the boldest bourbons, they've got it all. And the best part? Their team of friendly guides is here to help you navigate through the maze of choices. Need a recommendation? They've got you covered. But wait, it gets even better. Total Wine & More offers convenient curbside pickup and delivery, so you can stock up on your favorites without ever leaving your car or home. So, what are you waiting for? Dive into the world of Total Wine & More today and discover your next favorite libation. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. That's TotalWine.com. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Well, I think that's why I said project manager, because it feels yeah. like going straight to operator or COO is too big of a role for where we're at. I Probably not. But, you know, funny story, uh, my COO that I was telling you about, yeah. we're thinking about hiring his wife as a project manager. So yeah. if he listens to this, he's going to be hurt again. But a different way of describing it maybe would just be, and this is, I guess I'm, I'm describing this as me watching what Layla has done in all, yeah, the, in all the companies. Because yeah. like, I'm pretty good at acquisition and that's kind of been my hat for a long time. Um, but when I met Layla, I think I was doing two-ish million bucks a year. Um, and just total revenue, not making really any profit. Um, but when she came in my life, she had a totally different perspective on how to just treat people and how to actually run a business. Mm -hmm. And it was not all the detail stuff and the Excel sheets and things like that that I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It was just leadership. It was like your catalyst. It was leadership. And that was the thing is so like when we're looking at operators, we're like, is this a leader? Like, am, does this person inspire yeah. me? Do I, yeah. do I admire them? Will other people in the team admire them? Will like, will they be able, you talk about setting standards. It's like, well, if everyone on the team doesn't admire the character of this person, then, emulate it. then exactly. And so that's where you get like more and more nuanced on, oh, we can, you know, we can pick this. And it's been really cool because our, our director of people, um, like <laughs> it's funny, we, we have probably have all these marketing stats and acquisition stats. You're like, you know, your, your CPL, your CPA, like all these different stats, but the same level of rigor can be applied to talent. So it's like, if I said, hey, what's your time to fill? A lot of people would be like, well, hmm? It's like, what's your average time to fill? And they're like, I have no idea. And it's like, okay, well, what's your employee turn? And they're like, I have no idea. Uh, what, what's the two-sided fit? And there's like, what is that? 
right? And like two side of fit is 90 days later, the manager and the employee rate, rate themselves on a scale from one to 10 and say, how, how much of, how, how much of a perfect fit is this, right? And if one person says zero and one person says 10, then you're a zero, right? And if both people say zero, then it's a negative, uh, 10. And if both people say 10, then it's a 10. And so like right now our two side of fit is 8.7. So that means that on average, both people are saying 8.7, um, on both sides of that equation 90 days later. Not just like, you probably hired someone and be like, it's the first week, they're killing it, they're awesome. And then I, you know, I, I have this conversation over and over again. I'm like, hey, how was that marketing person? And they're like, oh, they suck. I didn't like <laughs> yeah, it's like, I thought like two weeks ago, you yep. said, right? It's just like, you gotta give it time to breathe. Yes. Um, but having the archetype and then understanding the process and truly looking at it as acquisition, like talent acquisition, where it's like, I, I'm gonna draw a parallel. So you've got lead gen on the customer side, and then you've got application generation. And then you've got lead nurture, on the on the customer side and then you've got application nurture mm. right and then you've got sales on the customer side and then you've got interviewing right and then you've got you know whatever the the offer is and you also have the offer that you're going to give them and then on the then you have onboarding for a customer you have onboarding for employees and then you have retention and ascension for customers and you have retention and ascension for employees and so the entire customer life cycle is actually mirror images we use different words for it yes but if we don't have patterns the same because it's people yeah. <laughs> right. But you got me thinking yeah. very few people learn sales because they start off as a W2 worker. Someone, if someone brings a house cat, it's tuna. It doesn't learn how to hunt. Right. A handful of people can figure out how to hunt if they're hungry enough. Right. But then of the salespeople, how many of them actually make it to the tier? Like you're saying of being able to fill who could actually replace me. Like that's kind of, that's usually where I try to take off and then I fail and I come back down and yeah. I'm bouncing up and down. It's just rare to have a human that can get that skill set because they don't stick with it like you guys did. So if you could just clone yourself and make a whole bunch more Layla's like the business world would be. That'd be nice. Yes. Um, that whole so, podcast called find your, find your Layla to uh, entrepreneurs. So I was like, yes, find your Layla. That's it. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you have your, you have husbands and wives. Yeah. You've got work husbands and work wives for y'all it actually ends up being the same. Yeah. Um, Dave is my work husband as much as he doesn't <laughs> want to admit it. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, like I am actually at a point, my wife does not work at the moment. She really does want to work. Doesn't necessarily, she's not super passionate about real estate, but she wants to be a part of the business, right? What are your thoughts on, you know, involving your spouse in your work? I mean, I feel like y'all can probably speak to this. Nose goes, oh, got him. <laughs> um, I think it was different for us because when we met, we both were incredibly, like, voraciously focused on our careers slash businesses. Um, and it just so happened that they were in the same industry and we had similar views on what that looked like and like what we want our futures to look like. I, I have a lot of people that come to me and say like, how can I get my wife like interested in, in the business? And I don't really have an answer because it's like, I, it wasn't like that. It was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and I you think liked that it, right? I liked it on my own, and then I met Alex. Does it sound so, like he's saying, "How do I get this employee that doesn't really want to be in this role to like the role?" Is that the same? Yeah, it's like you know, if she herself has voiced interest, then I think that you make it easy for her to acquire knowledge about it. But I think that people have to autonomously like. If someone's really actually interested, then they'll be like, can I come to work with you? Can I shadow your calls? Can I do all this? They'll start taking things from you. They start, I can do that. I can do that. They insert themselves. And so just like anybody else would, I don't look at it like, oh, it's your wife. I look at it like it's a person. If they have interest, then they'll find those ways to do it and they'll be very eager. Um, I think that a lot of people have a great marriage and then say, well, could we also do this together? I don't know. You know, um, I think that there's so many things that we learned in the beginning and that, you know, our natural 
skills that fit together uh, eliminated a lot of friction, but there was still friction. You know, I think in the beginning of working together, even though we had similar mission values, uh, complementary skill sets, like still learning to work together was a skill of its own. Uh, and it's an ongoing thing that we have to continue to learn and get better at. And I feel like I feel like every year I'm like, gosh, we've gotten so much better because um, it just continues to like it's it's not it, you're never finished. Right. We and, and oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, and so I think, you know, we had a very a different kind of scenario. I think that there's a lot of people who want to enter that. But I mean, like, it's kind of like I said earlier, like you you pay the toll, like there's a toll that's paid, which is a learning curve. And I think it, it's not a matter of like weeks or months. It's It's years of learning how to work with your spouse. You know, I was just going to say that I think we actually fell in business love before we fell into like romantic love. And I've, I've said this publicly before, but like, I think Layla and I both loved each other the day we got married. But I feel like I like felt more in love with her the more we did business together. Um, because business was like our first date was only about business and it was four hours long. I didn't even ask her about anything else because she was like, oh, I'm like, oh, you see this stuff? And she's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I heard about these Facebook ads. This is years ago, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. I'm running those. And she's like, what? You know what I mean? Like that was the whole conversation. Like that was four hours, right? Um, and at the end of the date, I, I pitched her on working for me. I was like, hey, this might not work out, but you should totally work for me. <laughs> Did you still have the hangover? <laughs> it's like the first time I drank in like two years. Uh, <laughs> no, I felt okay that day. <laughs> and 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 at this at this time, she had a book of business already, so like she knew how to hunt, she knew how to kill. She had a full client roster as a personal trainer, and I was a gym owner, just a few steps, you know, like a few career steps ahead. I was also older than her, um, and so it seems divinely inspired that you guys got married. I'm sitting here listening to you talk, thinking like yes. you couldn't have created in a lab better partners <laughs> for each other. I. Yeah, I <laughs> I think that it was it's very much like when people say like how do you win the game? It's like you win in the draft. So what I had two questions. One is, do you feel like you fell for her as a business partner before a romantic partner because your love language is business, making money, success. You've mentioned that before, right? Yeah. Which led me to the next question I was thinking is we typically do it the other way where we want romantic sparks. We want butterflies and we're like, I'll make all the practical stuff work, but I really want to be attracted. You took the opposite approach. And from what we see now, it looks like the romantic stuff happened still. Like you, you didn't have to just wander through life until you found that person that exploded with passion. Do you think that's good advice for people in general that are trying to figure out who to marry? I will say that it has worked exceedingly well for us. And so I think Layla and I talk about this just on our own time a lot. We're like all the relationships that we had before this kind of were those, you know, crazy chemistry, yeah. all that stuff. And in the beginning of Layla and I's relationship, like literally on our second date, she was like, I just feel like you're like a friend type of guy. Ooh, friends on <laughs> yeah, yeah. second date. And, I, uh, I, he hadn't kissed me and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. that your way of trying to tell him he needed to do something different? Yeah. A little bit? Okay. <laughs> I like, um, and then I just gave like the most sickening belly laugh of all time. Yeah, and then it's never... never First time my back. entire life I'd ever been... T like my entire life that any girl had been like, you seem like a friend guy. I was like, I have You've never been friends on ever. Said, <laughs> if you know what you told me, you were like, I, I actually respect you. Yeah, and that was what it was. You know, I was like, I just like, I was like, I enjoy talking to you. Yeah. And I was like, I don't feel like I have to like pretend to wait for you to stop talking so that I can try and talk about something that I find more interesting. And so it's not like, okay, your turn now to talk about your day. I was like, I just want nothing to do with that. Like it just killed me inside. And so I just liked hanging. And um, I think we hung out every day after the first date uh, and we didn't go on any dates for like a month. And then until finally, it was like, you have not taken me anywhere. But we spent all day. I was like, I'm going to be working here if you want to meet me there. And then she would just work next to me. And that was what we did after like the first date. And then 
I was like, I'm gonna start this thing called Gym Launch. And she was like, okay. I was like, you should quit. You should quit your job. Join, do my thing, you know? And uh, still, like, she didn't. And then I did the thing and came back and I was like, look, it worked. And then she was like, I've heard you mention the yeah. moment that you were like, that's a girl for me. I don't remember the details yeah. of the story, but it had something to do with her going overseas or out of town to go yeah. crush a gym that you yeah. had just started. And you hammered the getting the signups. You basically yeah. filled it with lifeblood so that it could exist. And that was when like it clicked for you. Yeah. Like there was something different. Did the romantic part change at that point? Do you remember? It didn't. It didn't change at that point. You just but knew I had inside. made like this. It made too much. I have too much sense is the right word, but it was like. I, she had basically like eternally earned my respect yeah. at that point. Like I already respected her, but like when she had gotten into that really tough spot or I was in that really tough spot and basically, you know, at any other point I would have expect it would have been reasonable for any other person to just like walk away. Cause we split up and she went. And so she had quit her job to join me, do this thing. Six months later, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm so overwhelmed. I've got nine businesses and none of them are making money. You know, I've got some of you stole from me. I had all this stuff that's going wrong. I just had a DUI. My mother's in the hospital. I'm, I'm just like, I have nothing left. And so she was like, well, I'm going to go do the launch that we're supposed to do. And then she broke every record. She still has the all-time record for the biggest launch. And it was like, she stood tall Yes. Um, when it was tough. And I think that's where I was like, well, wherever I want to go, I'm going to need someone like that. I think that's where all my best friends came from. Those moments when you don't feel strong, you feel vulnerable, you know, you need somebody yeah. and they show up for you. Like it creates a bond yeah. that, that is deeper than just a, an attraction that can come and can go. She made a hundred grand in, in 24 days. At a time when you needed it every more dollar than any it. other time, right? Every dollar of it. Do you ever go to bed at night and just think like how awesome you are at that moment? <laughs> All of this like, is because of me. You like, it, it was like the ninth inning, yeah. You have a mirror, you have a mirror <laughs> on, the, on the ceiling? Two outs, you know, no. two strikes, ninth inning, bottom of the ninth, and you hit the home run that led to the New York Yankees becoming the biggest brand. But to, to I was just going to full circle it, which is just like a lot of people are going through the, the, the dating side of this or they're in the marriage side. There's two different seasons on this. Like if you were on the dating side, I do not give advice because I think so much of like, there's so much individual variation that goes into relationships and whatnot. We can only comment on the fact that like, this was a very different dynamic for both of us. And it just so happened to have worked out. And all I can share is that like, if you think about something all day long, every day, then it is very helpful to have someone else who also thinks about the exact <laughs> same thing your love language, all day it sounds long. like, right? Like not many people could have figured out how to, how to hit your love language there. Yeah, just talk to me about business all day. What about from your side? Like, what advice would you give to guys that are trying to figure out how do I get a girl in my life that can also work with me? How do I figure out if we're partners? I think the first piece of advice that I would give is like what I'm so grateful for with our relationship is that we've never compared it to anyone else's. Uh -huh. And I think that even people comparing their relationship to ours, yeah. you're going to lose because no. you can't be Alex and Layla. And I think what we've never subscribed to is like any traditional relationship yeah. norms, rules. Is this okay? Is that okay? Is is this bad? Is this good? One date night I don't per week. We literally will say we're like- Put in a we, calendar. We're, we don't care if it's good or bad. We like it and it works for us. And so I think everyone has to find that in their relationship. And I wish everyone can could just release judgment of their relationship. And if you like it and it works for both of you, then keep doing it. I don't care what that looks like. I don't think anyone else does. But I think that we're so busy comparing ourselves and- looking at, you know, people only see us on social media. And I, I do think that we're pretty transparent, but at the same time, it's like, you know, no one relationship looks the same. And so yeah. it's just hard to, you just have to stop judging yourself for whatever you do have. If it's working for you, 
Yeah. Maybe it uh, works better in other places that ours doesn't. You know what I mean? And you're just yeah. seeing one side. You're like, here, here's on this podcast. You're like, man, wouldn't that be nice? But maybe, maybe you have something else that, that, that we don't have. You know what I mean? And, like, and we just don't fun. know. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. And we're good with that. Yeah. Works for us though. I don't yeah. Um, before we wrap up today, I did want to ask, you know, you mentioned Dave Ramsey a little bit earlier. Did you recently have like a light bulb moment in how you invest your money? Well, it, I saw a, a podcast that he did with Graham Stephan. I, I don't remember when it was, but Graham had him look at uh, his investment portfolio and he was asking Dave to just analyze it. Yeah. And before Dave looked at it, he was like, well, what I can tell you is having talked to all the billionaires that I know, um, they all tend to do one thing that they like and they're good at and they just do a lot of it. And so he asked the follow-up question to Graham. He said, okay, if this, if this pie chart, this circle where your total knowledge and experience and resources and connections, what percentage of it would be like stock or market stuff? What percentage of it would be real estate? What percentage of it would be business, et cetera? And he's like, well, shoot, I'd probably say 85% of my knowledge is about real estate. And when he looked at the circle, 85% of his assets were real estate. And he's like, well, then I think this is a perfect distribution for you. Yeah, And that one bit was what ultimately gave me, it felt like gave me permission to do what we kind of wanted to do, but didn't feel like it was right. Because to the point about, we're talking about relationships, you know, I had spoken to all the guys that I knew who had, you know, who were at 500, a billion and, and, and up who were ahead of me. And I was like, what should I do with this money? Like, how should I invest it? Like all this stuff. And literally every single person had an entirely different strategy. Right. And so I was like, maybe I should get into hard money lending. Maybe I should get into, you know, like fix and flip stuff. Maybe I should just buy apartment buildings. Maybe, maybe we should do business invest, but wait, are we doing business? What don't we just start another business? You know, like I was going through all this stuff and I just didn't know what to do. Um, but when I thought about that, I was like, we like business and we're good at business. And so Let's just, if I were to draw that circle, it would be a hundred percent business. Yeah. And so our circle of assets, though high risk from the outside, when you're buying companies that are doing two to five million in profit a year, which is usually around the, the size that, that we come in, um, those are from an investor class asset considered risky, uh, you know, risky, risky investments. Um, but, you know, to, to quote Warren Buffett, it's only risky if you don't know what you're doing. Right. And a lot of times I'm sure there's real estate. I mean, to be fair, there's always there's always bodies. You know what I mean? But if at least if you know which closets are going to have the bodies, then you're like, oh, I know there's going to be bodies there. Yeah. And you don't get <laughs> I mean, sure, we still get surprised every once in a while, but you have fewer surprises and the damage that you suffer from the surprises continues to go down and down. And so you can get outsized returns because you have an information yes, advantage. Yes. And so that's that was the, the piece brilliant. that Dave gave us. And then that's why acquisition, we're like, well, what are we really good at? We're really good at scaling brick and mortar, really good at scaling services, both consumer service, professional services. And it's like, that's what we're going to buy. Man, I, I watched you do that. And I'm just looking at this whiteboard in front of me that you actually have the markers. <laughs> Very missed opportunity. <laughs> Should have had you illustrate it. <laughs> It's great advice, though, because everybody else is looking for what they're doing wrong. What's the secret? Oh, I'm do I'm making money this way, but it could be better if it was over here and they're bouncing around. Yeah. And no one asked the question you said, what are you good at? And what are you happy doing? You can make money in that. And like, it's going to be a much lighter lift when when that's what you're doing. And if I can tack onto that, like, let's say you've been doing something for like three years and you're making some money at it. Right. In my opinion, the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs will make at that point is that they then look at the greener grass on the other side of the fence and say, man wholesaling is actually the thing I shouldn't be doing flipping. I should be doing wholesaling. And so what they do is that, and that's actually even a little bit too close. They, you know, they say crypto yeah. trading or whatever, right? right? right. Something a little bit more out, outside of the loop. And then what they think is, is they see they, they have uninformed optimism, right? So they go into it being like, this is going to be amazing. And then right after that, they get, you know, six months in and they're like, I now have informed pessimism <laughs> about this opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And then they go into the value of despair. And that's usually where they're at at year three-ish, uh. right? But the thing is, is like the next part of that loop is informed 
optimism? Is it like, okay, I remember the things that I used to, that I, that got me into this and those things are true, but <laughs> there are these other things that you also have to account for. And then you get to the, the fifth step, which is just like mastery achievement of the goal, whatever it is. And so most people just do step one, two, three over and over again. They find uninf uninformed optimism, informed pessimism, value of despair, switch. Un uh, uninformed optimism, informed pessimism, value of despair, switch. And so like the thing is, is that when you're at year three, the gains that you get from year three to year four are greater in terms of uh, absolute return than the gains that you get from year zero to year one. Now you'll learn more in the first year than you do in every, any other year. But the time that you get the outsized return is year 10 to 11, is year 14 to 15. And that's where like when you're, if you're thinking about like business value, it's way easier to take a business that's doing 20 million a year and take it to 25 million a year than take a company from zero to 5 million. But in terms of absolute of like, which one of these is going to make you wealthier? The 20 to 25, as boring as it might be, is going to make you way wealthier than going from zero to five. And so like a lot of people start over when they really just need to push further. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, you're always going to be asking if the grass is greener. You always want to know what does tasty wheat taste like. Yeah. <laughs> well, callback that's from the Matrix. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, that's good. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to explain your I own do. joke. It's a good joke. Ever my movie quotes? You're always like, hmm. you don't know if I get your the Matrix. I've been sitting on that one for 50 you minutes. You're just waiting. You're just waiting. <laughs> there will be an opportunity for tasty wheat. Uh, well, awesome. Well, before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about your new book coming out? Yeah, a little preview. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Uh, the first book, one hundred million dollar offers, has sold just under five hundred thousand copies with no advertising. Thank you, uh, pretty pumped about that. Just word of mouth, which has been cool. Um, and that book answered the question, "What do I sell?" Right? It's like, "What do I sell to anyone?" Right? And that's usually when someone gets into the entrepreneurial journey. That's what they're trying to figure out. The next thing is like, "Okay, I know what I'm going to sell, but who do I sell it to?" And you need leads, right? And so that was the reason I put offers before I put leads, even though the I. I wrote all of these, like this book and that book, actually at the same time. But I was like, I have to put offers out first. And so leads um, shows how to get. I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind. If I said, "Hey, what is a lead?" Right? People are like, "Oh, I know what a lead is." We talk about leads all the time. But I had a friend of mine who's not at all in business and very smart. Be like, "What's a lead?" And I was like, uh, "You know, like a like some like a name and a and a phone number." And he was like. So is an Instagram follower a lead? And I was like, well, I, I, I get, I mean, yeah, I guess that, that, that is also a lead. He's like, oh, what about a YouTube subscriber? And I was like, well, that, I guess that's not, that's not really a lead. He's like, why not? And that discussion beca became like a, the, 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 the pillar that leads was built off of, which is a lead is a person you can contact, period. That's what it is. But then when you realize that that's the definition of a lead, you realize you don't actually want leads. You want engaged leads. Mm -hmm. You want someone who's shown interest in the stuff you sell, who you can also contact. And getting someone from a lead to an engaged lead, you create something to make them make, take that switch. And then from there, it's like, okay, if I know how to get people to engage, uh, what do I do to do that? It's like, well, you have to advertise. And so there's, there's four ways that any one person can advertise. And there's four ways that you can get other people to advertise on your behalf. So there's only eight ways that you can get other people to know about your stuff. And so uh, fortunately... Um, we've actually built, we've, we've done over eight figures in sales in each of these eight types, obviously in some of them more than that. But, uh, and so I feel really confident that I know how to build referral systems that generate real amounts of traction. I know how to build affiliate systems that build real amounts of traction. I know how to run paid ads and how to make content. I know how to do cold outbound, right? I know, like, uh, I know how to run uh, an agency to do these things on our behalf. I know how to get employees to do these actions on our behalf. And so these are all the different ways that you can get other people to know about your stuff. And if you just know one of them, you can make good money. If you know how to do a couple of them, you can pretty much just write your own check. And 
that for me bridges the gap for especially the newer entrepreneurs who are coming in or uh, the more experienced entrepreneurs who are like, okay, I'm at a million a month. I want to get to 10 million, 10 million a month. Like, what does that look like? And so the book starts chronologically with like, you have nothing. <laughs> and then the end of the book basically paints the pictures of how do I have a hundred million dollar plus lead machine and just step-by-step step, uh, how to build it. And so it took two years, 2000 hours um, of writing time. So six hours a day for two years. Wow. Um, it was the first six hours of my day every day um, to write the book. I'm incredibly proud of it. Um, and I do think it'll be bigger than offers. Awesome. Offers, which is also a staple in the business community. <laughs> this is Daniel's, not yeah. mine. But I look forward to pre-ordering that. Where can people get it? When does it come out? Give us some of those details. Acquisition.com forward slash leads, L-E-A-D-S, um, is where the event, I'm going to be doing a live launch. Cool. So it's going to be a big thing. August 19th, yeah, the day after the, my birthday. You said it's going to be like the like a huge thing, yeah, right? Yeah, we've got 263,000 people who've registered so far. Wow. Um, so it's... Um, We'll see what happens. You know, like, yeah, I just going to be awesome. It's like, I just hope the tech I works. I hope nothing breaks. Yeah, like, the, the whole vibe is like, Who that just, just happened might, to? but no one will huh? know. Is it, who that just happened to on Twitter? Didn't someone just... There's it, like so many instances. Was it Tucker I've, that oh, really? had just that? Broke, like took it or down. Elon Musk. Somebody was like announcing... No, DeSantis was announcing he's running for president. Oh, maybe, really? And Twitter's servers couldn't handle it. And it was like a huge thing in the news. You've clearly been writing so much that you didn't catch it. <laughs> you've been hiring rock stars, <laughs> and so you don't know what's going on. But, I never know what's going on. We've... We've put we've put a million bucks into this event, just into the event, um, and we're we've got I've, another project I've been working on for four years that I've not told a soul about that we'll be releasing live to everybody awesome. there. And um, a little preview: what is it? Just for the podcast? Absolute. <laughs> so mm -hmm. all I can say is that it's uh, it's more than a gift card, and it's less than a Tesla, and every single person who's there will get one. Our team doesn't even know. Yeah. Like it's like a super. Did you hire range. Did you hire Oprah to hand it out? No, I, Whatever it, will, it is, it will be. It will be if. If that Oprah episode met entrepreneurship, that's what it will be like. Um, I'm stoked, but it will only be for people who are there live. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, awesome. Well, if people want to learn more about you, where can they learn about your socials, YouTube, Instagram, all that kind of stuff? I'm pretty sure if you just search Hormozy, yeah, Alex and myself will pop up on all platforms. Yeah, anywhere, any. Actually, I think we're on almost except for Snapchat. We're on every platform. So like yeah. LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Threads. Uh, That's right. Yeah, you've YouTube. been crushing the threads, man. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alex the first is like, this you... was built for me. Oh, oh yeah, no. I was, I was, st yeah, because I'm, I'm a t Twitter guy. He's at, a writer. Yeah, I think the first so. thread you you posted, I was like, yeah, can you just do these so we know who to copy? Yeah, so, <laughs> I think I, I saw that. you comment that. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where we're at. And acquisition.com is uh, if you've got a you know company doing two to five million in profit or EBITDA a year, we'd love to see if we can help. Or if you want a job, because we have rolled out what's called Mosey Talent. So people who are looking for work, uh, basically, if they subscribe to Mosey Talent, then they get first dibs at any of the jobs in our portfolio companies or at acquisition.com. Cool. My last question for you guys, we've been asking everybody this today. My social media handle is David Green 24 <laughs> I've been getting roasted <laughs> by all these marketers that say it's Boom, boring roasting. and nobody likes it. Your guys' professional opinions. How terrible is it, and can I just keep it? We're wondering if he should drop the 24. Uh, someone suggested earlier maybe he had the 7, so it's David Green 24-7. <laughs> Thoughts? You won't hurt my feelings. Oh, no. Can handle I it. think it's just on brand. Yeah, I think if, if yeah. you've been riding it this long, it's funny. Yes. That might yeah. be just be part of the brand. Yeah. I yeah, we're laughing with you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can get your handle at this point because, like, trust me, I've tried to get mine. They're like, yeah, yeah, you know, for three hundred grand. Yes. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. hold me hostage. My yeah. my URL for twenty grand, and I was like, no. No, I have I have the URL. I have the I website, 
But if I switch it, now I got to go like yeah. try to get the all the new stuff, right? Uh, and I am kind of a straight shooter. I'm not really known for being this big marketing scheme. So it's so you guys are saying, David, you're not a moron because you. I think it's kind of quirky if you keep the 24. Okay, yeah. that's a good thing. It's kind of funny. It's kind of cute. It's all right. Okay. It's yeah. Cute. I suggested thy David Green that's been <laughs> shot down in every room we're in. So thy David Green. Or you the. See why I don't trust the advice <laughs> that I'm being given right now. Well, then the there's David also Green. like the real David Green, but I said you should do the realist David the real, Green. Or the real, real. I'll just give a, a funny anecdote on this. So I, I used to. I used to poo-poo everything brand related and was like, it's just quant, right? It's just conversion and all that stuff. And so our supplement company, I called Prestige Labs and I did it out of jokingness, out of Prestige Worldwide, yeah, which was, that was, right. And it was because my whole point was that like, the name doesn't matter. Xerox is made up. You know what I mean? Like we ascribe meaning to it after the fact. And so, you know, I, I don't think it matters like one bit. Acme supplements. Or yeah. Something. I don't think it matters Michelin one bit. Michelin star restaurant from Michelin tires. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you want to find David on the socials, David Green twenty four, or possibly thy David Green, we'll see. We'll see how, where we land with that. And you can find me at Raw Built over on Threads, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Zanga, <laughs> MySpace, <laughs> Vine, Vine. That's right. Oh wow, yeah, nice Vine callback. Is retired now, unfortunately. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Really, and thanks for coming out. Awesome thank interview. And thanks for sharing so much of your personal lives as well. I mean, obviously people like to hear the business stuff, but I think there are a lot of human beings that are hearing this and thinking, oh, I'm not crazy. I don't have to do what other people are doing. I can look for a partner that fits into my life from a practical element before we run off and try to get into a honeymoon and I don't have to swipe 7,000 people on Tinder to find the one that hopefully ends up working out. There's a better She's approach. out there, bud. <laughs> chase that beautiful butterfly <laughs> and that was our interview with alex and layla ormozi rob i know you're on cloud nine right now what was your favorite part of that interview well you know i think they really stressed the importance of hiring and hiring intentionally you know i, I kind of brought the question of hiring a project manager that, and bringing them onto my team and uh, it's really funny because this is a role that I'm also needing to hire on the real estate side. But it seemed like what they were saying is, you know, uh, project managers effectively are the junk drawer position because most people think of it incorrectly. Like a project manager is there to keep timelines and set deliverables and all that type of thing and all those types of things. But what they were saying was people just sort of backfill every role position and call it a project manager. And I am 100% guilty of doing that. I was like, I need a project manager on the real estate side and I need a project manager for my cost seg company. But really it sounds like they want me to drill down and hire specific roles that I actually need to fill like an acquisitions manager, a dispositions manager, uh, a, an underwriting manager, all that type of stuff. And I was definitely just thinking of it as one grand position. So pretty eye-opening for me. Uh, it, it'll definitely have some pretty big implications on the hires that I make here in the next like week or two. What about you? What I thought about with that project manager was when you hire someone and they're not doing their own job, they're not making sure the project's getting completed. They're just giving you excuses for why it's not. We think we need to hire a project manager, but what that really means is we need to hire a babysitter for the other person I'm already paying. So now you've created a salary to pay someone to make sure that other people that you're paying are doing their jobs. And now if the project manager is not making sure that the first person is doing their job, you now have two salaries to get nothing done. And I could just see how quickly companies can run out of money when you start throwing money at problems rather than hiring people that are held accountable to getting a result. So that that jumped out at me, especially with real estate 
sales or really any commission-based job, it's very easy for employees to say, well, I'm doing my best, but they're really not. They're doing as much as they're willing to do. And now you're hiring a project manager, which is just a band-aid for the fact you made the wrong hire. I think that's what they were saying is if you have to hire a project manager, you might have the wrong person in that job because someone who's taking responsibility for the outcome that you want doesn't need to be babysat. They don't need someone to make sure they're doing it. I thought that was... Fantastic, especially when it comes to real estate. How many times have we hired a contractor whose job is to oversee the subs? Then you got to hire a project manager to oversee the contractor to make sure that the subs are doing their job. You're just throwing money at these problems that aren't getting fixed. That actually just happened to me on on a flip that I'm doing right now. I brought in, I was trying to bring in a project manager and we were trying to write out like their roles and responsibilities. And we were just like, I mean, what do they really do? I guess they're going to manage the project. And when I told my contractor about this, I was like, Hey, yeah, you know, they're going to help manage the, the, uh, the project. He was like, I mean, I can do it, man. He's like, all the stuff you're saying that you're going to hire them to do, that's my job. And I was just like, Oh, and I wasn't used to having a contractor that was actually good at their own project management. Right. So it was a pretty interesting, uh, follow up. I mean, this just happened to me after this uh, conversation with the Hormozies. So it's kind of nice to to see all the, the dots connecting in the world of real estate. Yeah. And you can tell how Alex isn't necessarily a real estate investor, but business is business. And real estate investing is a business. Owning a property is like owning a business and owning 10 properties, which is a portfolio, is like having a portfolio of businesses. And it's business principles that determine if we're good at what we do or not. He talked about lead follow-up as one of the key things that uh, business owners miss out on when it comes to lead generation. He even wrote the book about it. In my real estate business, lead follow-up is crucial. In deal finding, when I'm when I'm in buying mode, I'm always following up with offers that I wrote and seeing if they change their mind. And I frequently will get good deals. In fact, when we bought our Scottsdale house, we used that technique. We wrote the offer. They said no. And we're like, all right, let's, let's let them wait. This is what I want you to say. Call in three days and say this. Call two days after that and say this. And then if they say that, that's when we know we're in a good place. Lead follow-up is crucial. And these principles apply no matter what you're doing. Uh, the the whole idea of win-win-win and why culture matters, I thought, was really good also. That you need to make sure everyone wins. That's a mistake I made in business many times where I put myself in a position where the employee was winning, but I wasn't. So they were getting paid regardless of how they performed. So win for them, they get a paycheck, but it's not a win for me. Well, then you don't stay in business. Or I've had times where I'm winning with the structure of the uh, business, but they feel like they're not motivated enough. So if they don't think they're winning, they're not going to work. You really do have to tweak with this thing over and over and over until you get a win-win-win. Is that something you've noticed in your business life as well? Yeah, this whole episode just made me realize how lazy I've been about work workplace culture because my teams are small you know i've got several different companies but within every single company i mean my team can be anywhere from like one person to three people i think my biggest team is like 10 and so in my mind running these businesses i'm like well we're not really that big of a company to where culture is all that important and i think talking to them sort of made me realize that i should really be fundamentally trying to create that from the beginning because it only gets tougher to fix and adjust the bigger the company gets. Yeah. And the same thing is true with your portfolio. Like you just got to remember that a company and a real estate portfolio are different versions of the exact same thing. And the principles that work in real estate work in business and vice versa. I thought it was funny that when we asked Layla about real estate investing, she kind of made a joke and she's like, oh no, I'm, I'm terrible at it. 
but it's just a flavor of business that they don't have as much experience with. They understand gyms. They understand like some of the other structures that they're comfortable with. I'm sure they'd be good at real estate investing if they really. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They'd be better than us. But why would they, right? If they're able to scale with businesses instead of needing it, because you know how it is. Real estate is all about delayed gratification is, is a get rich slow scheme. For sure. And they've got a system figured out that I think is much more complicated and much more risk intensive and not not passive income is active, but it works for them. So that's why they're doing what they do. And we were very lucky to have them come in. I don't know that they've ever done an interview together like that. First time I've seen it, but yeah. Anything I've seen online, right? Where you get you got both sides going deep into deeper things, not giving surface level questions. So this was awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I'm going to go start a business now. You implementing everything they talked about. Yeah. Just don't name it acquisition.com. I don't know why Alex picked a word that no one knows how to spell. So many vowels in that <laughs> thing. You got to pick something easier. Jobs.com. I'm sure that I'm sure that URL is taken. I'll go daddy it in a second. You're probably right. All right. This is David Green for Rob, the GoDaddy Abasolo signing out. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.